We are continuing our series, Advent of a New Era. The arrival of Jesus 2,000 years ago ushered in a new era in history, and the world has never been the same since Jesus was born. Likewise, Jesus brings a new era into each of our lives. When we place our faith in Jesus, something in us changes. Sometimes the change is quick and obvious. Sometimes it takes more time and is subtle. But Jesus' arrival brings something new. And in this series, we've looked at how Jesus gives us a new identity and a new outlook. And Jesus' birth in a manger forever changed the world. And God's sacrificial love also gives us a new purpose. The scripture for this morning is 2 Corinthians 5. You can go and look that up in your Bible. 2 Corinthians is a little over halfway through the New Testament. Uh, you can also look it up on your phones. But in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul is talking about the implications of Christ's sacrifice. It not only changes how we live, but Christ's sacrifice changes what we live for. Our scripture reader for this morning is Eli Kippis. Eli, go ahead and make your way up to the podium. And as he does, I'm going to ask, I realize you just sat down. I'm going to ask if you're able, please stand and face the center of the room. Uh, we read from the center of the room to remind us that scripture is to be central in our lives. And we stand because we believe that this is the word of God. And so, Eli, whenever you are ready, please read from 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 to 21. Therefore... If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ's, Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 through 21. Eli, thank you very much. You may be seated. Uh, a couple of us were at Grace Assisted Living this week celebrating communion with some of the residents there. And after we were done, a woman named Phyllis started talking to me. And she was new. I'd never met her before. Uh, but she told me about a time when she met uh, Corey Tenboom. Now, some of you know the story of Corey Tenboom. Uh, Corey lived in the Netherlands during uh, World War II Nazi occupation. And Corey and her family hid Jews in her home. The Nazis eventually discovered this, and Corey and her sister were sent to Ravensbrück concentration camp. And the sisters were forced to go through all kinds of degrading experiences. And Corey's sister, uh, she would die in that concentration camp in 1944. Now, a mere three years later, the war had ended, Corey was freed from the camp, and had started a rehabilitation home for concentration camp survivors. But she also then would go to Germany from time to time to speak about forgiveness at various churches. And after one such um, speaking engagement, she noticed a man approaching her from the back of the church as everyone else was leaving, and she quickly realized the man is one of the guards from the Ravensbrück camp. 
And he had been somewhat cruel to her and her sister. And he said to her, he said, I was a guard at Ravensbrück, and I have since become a Christian. And while I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, I am asking you to forgive me. And he held out his hand. While she just kind of mechanically held out her hand and shook his. And then she describes the experience this way. An incredible thing took place. A current started in my shoulder and raced down my arm and sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, she cried with all my heart. Corey reconciled with a German Nazi concentration camp guard just three years after her sister died in that same camp. And while Corey was already a faithful follower of Jesus, which is what led her to hide Jews in her home in the first place, there, this was a new experience for her. She encountered the power of God in a new way. Jesus' arrival brings about something new in us. There's a new reality for those of us in Christ, and that new reality gives us a new purpose. And part of that new reality is reconciliation. We live in a world of increasing division, where things that have always separated us, politics, race, religion, it's like they're on steroids now, and the rift keeps getting bigger in scope and frequency. Now, schisms and factions are nothing new. They are as old as time. But in Christ, God wants to bring something new. Going back to verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. The oldest rift in history is between humanity and God, going all the way back to the garden when we disobeyed God and we were banished from the garden. Well, that old order of sin and death is gone. And while some of their power remains, sin and death no longer rule. The birth of Jesus was the precursor to a new order. Things have changed. There's a new order in the universe, reversing the old order of what happened in the garden. The new age is not an age of division. It's an age of reconciliation. God is reconciling us to himself in Christ. Now, relationship splits happen all the time, whether with family or friends or work relationships. All of them are susceptible to possibly breaking, where some kind of conflict causes a relationship to end or at least be damaged. And once a relationship is damaged, well, how can that be reconciled? There have been countless studies done on reconciliation. And there are, there's lots of principles of reconciliation. I'm just going to share three of them. And I want us to see that God has taken steps to reconcile with us. The first principle of relational reconciliation is to focus on the positive, not the negative. Focus on what is good about the other person, not just on what is bad. Well, what does the passage say God does to reconcile with us? In Christ God does not count our sins against us. God does not focus on the negative in our lives. 
The second principle is try to see the other person's point of view. Well, what is the entire theme of the Christmas story? God leaving his heavenly glory and becoming one of us. Jesus is God taking on flesh and walking among us. No one can say that God doesn't understand what it means to be human. No one can say that God doesn't understand what it means to be tempted. In Christ, God became one of us. And scripture says that Jesus was tempted in every way, yet did not sin. God has taken our point of view. And then the third principle is make the first move, which is exactly what God did. In order to be reconciled to us, God sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Or as it says elsewhere in scripture, we love because God first loved us. God made the first move to reconcile with us. The Christmas story reminds us that we are living in the age of reconciliation. God has made peace with us. Make peace with God. Put your faith in Jesus. See, what God has done, it needs to be proclaimed. The message of reconciliation, God gives that message to those who believe in him. We have a new role as being ambassadors. This is our new purpose. We are Christ's ambassadors. As it says in verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God wants us to make his appeal. And an ambassador is simply someone who represents someone else. The ambassadors of the United States, they represent our country. Ambassadors for God, well, they represent our God. And Paul would write to the Colossians, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Everywhere we go, everything we do, we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. And our message to the world is quite simply, God is for you, not against you. And it's not just what we say that sends that message. It's what we do. We should always be asking, what can we do to show the world that God is for them and not against them? Our message to our family should be, God is for you, not against you. And what can we do to show our family that? Or our message to our friends is, God is for you, not against you. What can we do to show our friends that? The message to our coworkers is, God is for you, not against you. And what can we do to show our coworkers that? Our message to our neighbors is, God is for you, not against you. And what can we do to show our neighbors that? Our message to our enemies, God is for you, not against you. And what can we do to show our enemies that? On Christ's behalf, we implore everyone, be reconciled to God. That is our new purpose. Yes, we have jobs and careers. We go to school. We raise families. However, God has us where we are doing what we are doing so that we can be his ambassadors, telling the people in our lives, showing the people in our lives, God is for you, not against you. God has made peace with you. Make peace with God. Put your faith in Jesus.
the arrival of Jesus 2,000 years ago ushered in a new era in history. It gives us a new reason to have hope. As it says in verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus' birth, death, and resurrection is the reason to believe that message of reconciliation. Because of all the suffering in the world, it's hard to believe that God is for us. With all the suffering in the world, it's hard to believe that God has made peace with us. The war in Israel, the war in Ukraine, people suffering from hunger and famine, disease, natural disasters. And rather than coming together to solve problems, it seems like these things just give us more reasons to fight with each other. So much division, so much hate. And on a personal level, all of us suffer. We live with all kinds of uncertainty, whether it's about our health, cancer, COVID, heart issues, strokes. We all have loved ones who have passed away. We or people we've known have lost jobs or marriages. We experience estrangement from our families. It seems like there is always something causing us pain, making us suffer. And in all that suffering, how are we supposed to believe that God is for us? Now, one of my favorite shows is The Big Bang Theory. Okay, how many of you watch Big Bang Theory? I need to know. I need to figure out how much education I have to do here. Okay, um, it's a show about a bunch of really smart nerds, okay? And one of the main characters is Sheldon Cooper. And Sheldon is a brilliant physicist. He's also arrogant, stubborn, OCD, germaphobe, all of that. And one theme, one thing you have to know about Sheldon is that he always sits in the same spot on his couch in his apartment. That is his spot right there. He always sits there if he is in the room. If someone else is sitting in that spot and he walks in, they know they have to get up from that spot and move. And if they don't, he will obnoxiously kick them out and he will pout and throw a fit until he gets his way. And it doesn't matter who else is in the room. His roommate doesn't get to sit in that spot. His friends don't get to sit in that spot. His girlfriend, who eventually becomes his wife, she doesn't get to sit in that spot. Only Sheldon gets that spot on the couch, and it is very, very important that he gets that spot on the couch. Now, the one character that Sheldon has the most conflict with is Wallowitz. Wallowitz and Sheldon, they make fun of each other, they pull pranks on each other, and they just have a hard time getting along. Now, on one episode, Sheldon accidentally does something that costs Wallowitz a really big promotion. And Wallowitz is so mad that he is ready just to be done with Sheldon forever. And Sheldon, he tries to fix the mistake, but it's too late. Wallowitz doesn't get the promotion. 
And that reality will not change. And Sheldon honestly feels bad, but he doesn't know how to reconcile with Wallowitz because after everything Sheldon has ever done to Wallowitz, how can he show him he is truly sorry and wants to be friends? Well, Sheldon shows up to Wallowitz and he gives him a couch cushion. And Wallowitz is befuddled by this behavior. Why are you giving me this couch cushion? And so Sheldon clarifies. This cushion is just a symbol, Sheldon says. What I am giving you is my spot on the couch. Now, Wallowitz's friends all look at Wallowitz and say, dude, you have to forgive him now. He's giving you his spot. Which Wallowitz does forgive him. Sheldon gave his most prized possession. The reality of losing the promotion didn't change. But Sheldon gave his most prized possession to convince Wallowitz, I want to be your friend. And it works. Now, given all the suffering we experience, how can we believe that God is for us and not against us? God doesn't take away our suffering. The reality that we suffer in this life does not change. We live in a world where God allows us to suffer. So how are we supposed to trust God? Well, God demonstrates his love for us by giving what he values the most. He gives his son, his son, not just born in a manger, his son to die on the cross. God makes peace with us. Jesus being born in the world shows the seriousness of God's love. What else could God give us to show us that he is for us? To convince us, look, I know you're suffering, but I am for you. Here, look, you can have my son. In the middle of all of our suffering, God wants us to know he loves us. He doesn't take our suffering away, but he wants us to embrace the gift of his son and believe that he is with us. Believe he is for us even as we suffer. Our reason for believing the message of reconciliation, for declaring the message of reconciliation, isn't that life is always grand and everything goes our way. No, we live in a world of real suffering. Our reason for believing in the reality of reconciliation with God is the good news of the gospel. God gave us his son. Jesus died for our sins. Jesus rose from the dead and that changes everything. God giving his son anchors our faith in the reality of our suffering. When the pain of life stings, that's when God wants us to cling to Jesus to believe that God is with us in our pain, there to comfort us. Or as it says in the Christmas story, quoting the prophet Isaiah, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God giving his son is a tangible reality telling us God is with us God is for us. God has made peace with us. Make peace with God.
receive the gift and believe in Jesus. And declaring this to the world with our deeds and our words, that is our new purpose. Please pray with me. And Lord, I want to lift up each person in this room who is suffering and in pain. And I would ask that you would give them the spirit of your comfort and grace and somehow, some way, communicate in a way to them that you love them and are for them. And may they find comfort in you. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your son and for what that means. And Lord, may your spirit work in our hearts so that we can experience the joy and the peace that you offer us. In the name of our, G- our Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Receive God's blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.